Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, we're in 1 Corinthians 6, so you might want to turn to your Bibles to track along. We're going to be going through uh, a tricky part of uh, 1 Corinthians, where Paul is talking about lawsuits. And um, we live in a society, I believe, where lawsuits are prevalent. You only have to go on the BBC News app and you kind of look and see who's suing who, uh, or who's counter-suing who, and who's counter-counter-counter-suing who. And you see it played out in the media, uh, all things, all details, free for everyone to track along and follow, and you can even watch them as live streams and things like that. There's been obviously some very big litigious uh, news in celebrity life as well over the course of years. So we just know that lawsuits, taking people to court and things like that, is just part and parcel of what we experience in society. And sometimes it's really sad as well, because as the details come out, you see kind of the, the heartbreak and not just the law being played out, but the people behind the law who are real people with real lives, with real pain, and all of those things coming out. So, yeah, this is an interesting part of, of our passage because we've been talking about the church and issues within the church. And the church is not immune either to the idea of lawsuits or people taking other believers or other Christians to law. Um, and, and that's mixed up with not just, in, obviously we, we hear a lot of it maybe in the US or other countries, but also in the UK as well. Um, we hear of abuse, we hear of historic abuse, historic things that have happened in the church and have been covered up. So these things are real. These things are real topics that don't just affect the church back in Corinth, but affect the church here in the 21st century. So we must heed to what the Lord wants to speak to us today about. I want to start by reading uh, the portion. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Um, so why don't you turn with me in your Bibles as you're there, and we'll read it together. Paul says this in his letter. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before, sorry, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Verse two, or do you not know, or do you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to trial trivial cases? You do not know that we are to judge angels, how much more than matters pertaining to this life? If you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brothers goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves defraud, wrong and defraud even your own brothers, exclamation mark. So we're in, a, we're in a situation where the 1 Corinthians is a letter which Paul wrote. Paul is the apostle who planted the church in uh, Corinthia, in the city of Corinth. And we see, I think hopefully you've already picked this up if you've been tracking along our series with us, that the Corinthian church or the letters to the Corinthian church is not a model for what a good church looks like. I think we see already from the last few uh, weeks when, Paul, um, when Clive and Anne have been preaching about certain issues that have come up about 
uh, about some of the issues in there. There's people who are preferencing um, and selectively choosing leaders who are, they're raising them up as being better or not as good as these other people or, you know, taking that kind of stance in the church. There's people who are sleeping with their mothers-in-laws. There are people who are effectively living out a life in the church which should not be as it should be for the people of God. So when we read 1 Corinthians, we don't read it as a, ooh, I should follow these. And it, it, Paul is correcting wrong major issues that are happening in the life of the church. And he's doing so also in the passage that we are looking at today. Paul shows us, though, the reality of what church life is like. If you've been in church for a while, or maybe you're a bit green, be assured that churches are not perfect. And I want to just say that not in a way to, to um, kind of squash us down or to discourage us, but I want you to realize that the church, the idealistic church, the church is a realistic one. We're a group of people from all walks of life brought together under the headship of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we submit to him, but we also in a way have to submit to each other. And Christians are called to live in community. And this is a really big pull because if you are living in community with other people, opening your lives to one another, sharing life, not just a Sunday, but life, then you will encounter disagreements. You encounter times where you'll have grievances against one another because we know that we are still sinful people and conflicts and disagreements are just part and parcel of what it is to be human until Christ comes back again. So I want us to be encouraged by what Paul wants to do. Paul's goal in 1 Corinthians is not to destroy and crush the church. It's there to correct the church, to discipline it, but to bring it back to life. Yeah, so that's what we want for us today. And maybe you've had grievances in the church this morning. And I'm aware that many of us have, have been hurt by other believers or people who have said they are believers in the church. And we want this place to be a place where, Holy Spirit, would you come and bring about a fresh wind of forgiveness and mercy, but also justice. So that's where we are this morning. Verse 1. What on earth is going on in the Corinthians church? Let's just run through what we can understand and what the issues are that's going on. Some believers have grievances against others. It says that in verse 1. And what they're doing is that they're taking their grievances and they're bringing it before the public spectacle of a law court. And they're taking whatever their differences are. And Paul's very clear in this passage that the cases he's bringing are, thing called, are things called trivial cases. I'm not sure what you think trivial cases are. We can maybe look into it a little bit longer in the passage. But some of the things, we don't know the details, but we do know that they probably involve maybe a business transaction. Someone's been defrauded and cheated. That's kind of what it alludes to in the passage. So somewhere along the line, somebody has done something, somebody is aggrieved, and somebody has decided then to take that matter outside of the church and take it to the judicial court of the day in Corinth. And as I said in the very beginning, that the churches, well, sorry, the, the secular courts are ones which are the public spectacle. You can go along, I guess the equivalent of YouTube today, and, and watch spectacles of kind of people in court. Um, but they're, they're bringing it before the public courts, and everyone, all the washing is out for everyone to see. All the dirty laundry is out there to see. There's no holding back. And that's what the church is doing. They're choosing to take their disagreements outside of the church and bring them into the public spectacle for the whole world to see. The question is really that Paul wants us, and I think us, we want to learn from this passage or question ourselves on, what do we do as followers of Jesus when we have disagreements? We're called to follow Jesus. We're called to love him. 
and that's what it means to be a Christian, to follow him and to follow after him. What do we do when we feel like we have been cheated or defrauded? And I'm not sure if you've ever experienced that in the church. Maybe you have. And one way we can choose, I think, to respond is just to say, no business transactions in the church. Let's just segregate our lives so that my Sunday morning, and I live, and I come here, I do my worship, I have a bit of coffee, and I leave. Nobody else, you know, I choose to segregate the rest of my, my life, what I do from Monday to, Friday, Monday to Saturday, outside of the body of Christ. And I don't believe that's what Jesus wants us to do, or Paul wants us to do. As Christians, as a church, we're not segmented people who just operate on a Sunday with, with each other here. We're people who have to share our whole lives together. We're called to be a community. We're called to actually be people who engage with each other in all walks of life, in our family life, sometimes in our business lives as well. And I think that's really important because you get some aspects of the church where we would say, you know, I'm to avoid this issue, which is obviously going to be part of life, I'm choosing to segregate part of my life outside of the community. And those of us who offer our gifts or our services actually have something we do give and we do offer. I think it's a good thing that actually we, if you have a gift or you have a business or you have something that you offer, is actually to share that with the community. And for the community to actually go, wow, that's, you did a great job. I would love to give you some money for that. Uh, and I think it's a good thing because, because we as Christians aren't just Sunday people. We are Monday through to Sunday people. Our whole lives have to be shaped by the gospel of Jesus. And if you're a Christian with a service gift or some kind of offering that you give, do it for the glory of God. Why wouldn't you share the joy of your business or the successes or the gifting that God has given you to bless the church and bless other people? If you're a roofer and you love fixing roofs for Jesus, then do it to the best of your ability. Okay, people might say, I've got a hole in my roof, I can see Jesus up there now, but I want his cover covered up. You know, do it, do it, do it wonderfully. If you are somebody who is a, I don't know, a a property lawyer or something, and you hear somebody who needs, is moving house, and you know that you, you do a great job to make sure that it goes well, why not offer your service? Say, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I, I deal with conveyancing. It seems like you need a good conveyancer, someone to trust. Trust me, I'm, a, you know, I'm your brother um, or sister in Christ. And I think we must, must make sure that we don't just segregate our lives so that we, 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 we kill the joy of sharing by being negative about it. If that kind of makes sense, yeah? yeah we want to make sure that we are sharing our whole lives. For example, uh, in this church, um, we have a wonderful baker called George, and he has blessed his church immeasurably through his baking. How many of you here were at Christmas time? We know the joy of a great mince pie. You go to the other ones now, and you think, oh, this is just... And, and you know, you just, you just rate everything, everything. The benchmark is set by George and his bakery. And um, it's good that he uses that gift to bless the church. The church benefits. We get great mince pies. We get to serve and love other people through our mince pies at Christmas time. And George benefits. His, we get to put money into his family business, and he gets to feed his family. Do you see kind of how it works? We want the church to be a place where business, good business practices can be demonstrated for the glory of Jesus. However, I must make this clear, just to balance everything here, the church is not primarily a marketplace and opportunities, okay? If you come to this church and you've got a great business, fantastic, but we're not here to kind of suddenly get a, a threshold of 500 people 
uh, into your marketability campaign. You know, we just want to make sure that you're not starting up a financial pyramid scheme and taking people into there and kind of, you know, growing their business through that. We want to be people who are sensitive because we, the key thing here is we want to honor Jesus. We want to honor the body. We want to bless the body, not take advantage of it. And this is probably something that's happening in the Corinthian church, that people have taken advantage of someone else. Maybe a business transaction has gone wrong. People are feeling aggrieved. And therefore, the response of those involved in that issue is to bring out a liturgical, not liturgical, a litigious um, court um, appearance and taking their brothers and sisters to court rather than resolve the matter within the community. Let me just quickly say this, because I think you get different streams of thought in the church. As I've been reading uh, and studying this week just about what the church, how it responds right now, Paul is not saying this. Some believers will say, based on this passage, that we should never, as Christians, never ever go to court. Paul says, don't do it. It's your shame. How dare you go to court? Paul, that's not what we are saying. I think there is an appropriate time when it's right to go to court to use the legal system to sort out indifferences, to sort out justice issues. If you have suffered loss, then it's right to use the nature of the courts and society to make sure that it is corrected. Paul himself, as the writer of this passage, in Acts 21 and 22, um, maybe you know this passage well, uh, Paul actually was falsely accused. He was beaten with rods in the public display, and he appeals under what Roman law to ensure that he is protected. He appeals under Roman law to make sure that he protects himself and he's not basically dragged off and, you know, to some corner and murdered. He uses the law, his rights, in the society that he lived in to make sure that he was protected. So Paul isn't saying don't use law, don't use the courts, it is there. But the cases in Corinth are ones which aren't about criminal law. They are trivial cases, and that's very clear. So Paul wants us to make sure that trivial things that should be able to be sorted out in the church are sorted out within the community. So we need to balance 1 Corinthians 6, this passage here, with other scriptures. And I want to use one other key scripture just to get our heads around how do we balance kind of law versus kind of dealing things within the church. And that passage would be, I want to balance with, is Romans 13. And if you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to read it here. And Paul is in Romans. So Paul also wrote the book of Romans uh, to people in Rome, as you might expect. And he was basically saying that uh, governing authorities and society and maybe law, which is included in that, are actually part of God's authority set up for our benefit. It says this in Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that do exist have been instituted by God. So God is the Lord of even the laws, courts, and the institutes and governors. Verse 3, it says... For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you receive his approval. For he is God's servant, that's the law. The law is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear his sword in vain. For he is the law, is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So here we see Paul saying that God puts secular authority, and we know in, in the world there is good secular authority and there is 
oppressive and bad sexual authority, but in general, God creates authority for our good. If you do good, generally, it will go well for you. If you do bad, be fearful, he's saying. Because there, God is very clear, is that he's putting these authorities in place under his authority so that it protects people, so that it brings justice, so that it brings about the right outcomes for most people. They're not perfect, and we have to acknowledge that. We know our, even in the UK or other Western societies, the laws are not perfect in cases, and we see that. But in general, they're there for our good and our protection. So here we see a good example, probably, of the use of law in our country for good is against slavery. Modern slavery laws, they're there in law so that people aren't taken advantage of. Yeah, we see it bypassed, but in general, God has put those in place so that people are protected. Do we need to work harder? Absolutely. But God has put these things there for us. But Paul's response to the fact that Christians are t- using the law for these trivial cases, Paul's response is, is outrage. And we see that here, that Paul basically criticizes every part of the Christian community, not just those who are in, you know, in, 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 in the the situation as both parties. He criticizes the individual who takes legal action. He criticizes the whole church community for allowing this to happen. He criticizes the individuals who have actually done wrong and defrauded. So Paul is interested in the whole community. How has this come about that you're taking these trivial cases outside of the church to the law courts? And I think what this means is that there's something deeper, something underlying that's happening in the church of Corinth there's allowing the outward working of these liturgical um, outcomes to happen. There's something deeper in their understanding, the church's understanding of the gospel that is allowing them to basically not handle things within the church, but to actually have to go out and deal with them outside of the church. There's a symptom of something underneath the skin that needs to be corrected. And I think that issue is sin. That issue is sin. And Paul's going to go through now, kind of going through the passage, and he's going to pick out, you know, and correct them through identifying the deeper issue of the heart. What's going on and what's going on in these people's hearts that's causing them to have to respond and react in this way. Verse 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to trial trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Do you know that being Christian is a blessing? Do you know that? Not just from a fact that from a personal perspective that I'm forgiven, I am redeemed, I am, my sins are being washed away, but from a greater aspect for society, we know what wrong is. We know what forgiveness looks like. We know what justice should look like. We know what purity of a judge looks like. We know what, how society should be, should, should be shaped or the principles of society because we have a worldview now that's shaped by Jesus who is Lord and King and perfect in every way. By bringing these trivial cases outside of the church, Paul is recognizing that you're bringing them into a court that does not know the gospel, does not know the fruit of what it means to follow Jesus as a righteous king. 
And, and we know what compassion and mercy looks like as well, not just justice and, and those things, but we know the other side as well. We know what it means to forgive, what it means to have someone do wrong to the king of the universe, but for him to give forgiveness back. We're reminded that we have the mind of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We've been inviting the Holy Spirit to come this morning and fill our lives so that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is so that he may reveal Jesus, he may reveal the truth of his word, and that he may have, we may have power to live that out. So as a church, we have the authority to judge. Not to our standards, not to our preferences, but to judge to the standard of Jesus. And you've been given the mind of Christ to do that. We need wisdom, we need humility to do that, but we've been called actually to judge and to lay up the truths of what is right and what is wrong according to Scripture. Um, Paul uses this amazing passage to say that actually you're going to judge angels. Oh, I'm not sure what that means. And in, in eternity, you're going to judge um, the world. That is what you're destined to do. And he uses, and we look in the passages in the Bible, it says in Matthew 19 and Revelation 20, that Jesus is going to be the ultimate judge. But us as the saints are going to be alongside him, standing with him under his authority, under his rule of law, and we're going to stand in that place of righteousness with him to judge the sins of the world. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't know that, but that's pretty cool. I thought, I'm going to be on the right side of justice because of Jesus, not because of what I've done. But actually, what that means is that if you have that ability now in the future, that destined for that, then you actually have authority now to judge on this life as well. Paul's point is this. You're destined to judge on Christ. How much more should we deal with things pertaining to this life, the things of sin, the things of rebellion? So that's one thing, that you have authority to judge. And I want to encourage you with that, because sometimes we feel like we don't have a stance. Sometimes we feel disempowered, we have authority given by God to judge matters pertaining to this life. And now my pad is frozen. Oh, no, it's good. Here we go. So let's quickly move on. Verse 4. So you have such cases. Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle the disputes among brothers? But brothers go to law against brothers, and that before unbelievers, to have lawsuits at all with one another is a ready defeat for you. So these Christians have chosen to go to law over these trivial cases. Maybe it was a slight disagreement. Maybe it was a misunderstanding in business transaction or something like that. But Paul is very strong here. The fact that by taking the matters, these trivial cases outside of the church and dealing with them in the public eye, that means everybody gets to see. And Paul uses these very strong words in, in, in the book of Corinthians here. He uses the word that it's to your shame. He uses the words that it's a defeat for you already. So what is Paul saying here? Um, the fact that we have the ability, we know what justice looks like, we know what forgiveness looks like, means that we should be able to deal with quite a lot of our differences within the church body. Yeah? That's Paul's expectations. But instead of doing that, they're showing to saying, let's go out and let's just go straight from, you know, zero to 100%, straight to the law court straight away. I'm reminded, I know that Clive a few weeks ago reminded us of how Jesus taught about dealing with resolution or dealing with conflict in Matthew 18. And I just want us to remind us about how Jesus lays down a process 
a step-by-step process, you could say, or um, in order to help us to dis- deal with or diffuse situations of disagreement. Matthew 18 says this, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him of his fault between you and him alone. Okay, that sounds quite wise. Let's try and deal with it one-on-one. Let's try and sort out the matter. Let's get some clarity. Let's try and for- figure out what I did, what you did. Let's, you know, let, let's, be, let's be calm about this. Let's try and sort this out. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Amen. But if he does not listen, then take one or two others alongside you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, so that's the idea. The idea that actually if there's disagreement still, let's take a few others, wise people, people who have wisdom, people who love us and know us, and let's try and sort out the differences so that there is some mediation here. If he refuses to listen, then tell it to the whole church. Okay, this is where we're, you know, we're expanding the, the, kind of the, the disagreement, kind of the, the boundaries of disagreement now. People have to know if there's something going on which is wrong and people aren't doing it, then the whole church has to grow and um, understand it a little bit better. If you refuse to listen even to the church, then let him be to you a Gentile and a tax collector. So there's even an instance where actually if you can't resolve differences within the church, within the body of Christ, through wisdom, through wise counsel, through accountability to the body, then actually maybe you're not a Christian. It's, it's, it's simple as that. If you don't know the fact that the church body is the whole church is against you, is, is, is laying up kind of the truth against you, then actually maybe you've got to reconsider where you are in your faith, in your understanding Paul clearly teaches that the Corinthian church should resolve their differences firstly through mediation and not jumping straight to litigation. And I think there's wisdom of why that is important. Um, There is wisdom because, firstly, by going straight to litigation, you lose a brother. I'm just imagining the prayer meeting. There's Deacon Dan, who has bought, I know, a car from uh, Usher Ashley, uh, she said it was a good car. She said it had been maintained over the years. And, you know, now she's, it's just so happened that it's just, you know, kaput after, uh, you know, 10 miles next day. I'm just thinking about what the premier is going to be like. Deacon Dan saying, Lord, uh, anybody, got any, they ask who's got a prayer, who any prayer requests? And Deacon Dan stands up and says, you know, I want to pray for my, my court case. You know, I've, uh, I feel defrauded. You know, I feel like some things, you know, I feel like, you know, I need God's justice. And everyone goes, amen, everyone, yeah, amen. But then there's Usher Ashley who says, oh, Lord, you know, it was, you know, I've got, I've got to pray for my court case as well. And, uh, you know, everything was good. And, you know, I even gave a discount. And, you know, just, you know, pray for me. And everyone goes, amen. Who's going to win here? You know, can you imagine the unity in that prayer meeting right there and then? It's crazy, isn't it? How can you live and operate in a church when we're called to be brothers and sisters when one person is legitious against another person? It just doesn't make sense. The language Paul uses is that we are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to compare what litigation looks like against reconciliation. Let me just read this. Reconciliation, that's bringing two opposition parties together back to unity, Reconciliation is the goal of the Christian. I'm just reading this from a commentary that I, that I read this week. Reconciliation is the goal of the Christian. Retribution or restitution is the goal of litigation. Reconciliation can be commenced immediately. Litigation drags on endlessly. 
Reconciliation is pursued privately and becomes no more public than is necessary. Litigation is public. Jesus therefore instructs his followers to seek reconciliation before and instead of litigation. Once the process of litigation has commenced, it is nearly irreversible. The two liturgents become irreconcilable. I said said that wrong. (laughs) Irreconcilable. Too many technical words for me in my little brain. The goal is reconciliation. The goal is unity. And it's important to recognize that, that litigation leads automatically to separation. When we understand that we're called to be a community that is family, it does change everything. When we're called to be one in Christ, to bring unity, it means that your attitude is not primarily self-centered. It is Christ-centered. It is other-centered. Jesus speaks continually about how, who is your brother? He speaks continually about who we are called to be to one another as family. As family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, um, James 2 says that we are compelled by the law of love. My attitude towards each one of you is that you would do well, is to love you, is to honor you. Galatians 5.13 says that we should be ones who serve one another, to serve one another, not to get and grab from each other. Paul uses in Philippians the example of Jesus, who did not demand his rights, even when he was wrong. It's Philippians 2, 5, 1 to 11. So Philippians 2, 5 to 11. We should have the attitude of this, that even though Christ, being the very nature of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, He surrendered himself, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is the attitude that we are to have, that has been given to us as a gift to each other. So therefore, we ought to make others more important than ourselves. That's a very different idea, a very different way in which the world in its law courts would act. The law courts say, gab, or that you can, take it as much as you can from the other party, Christ says, give, 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 because I am enough for you. So that's the first thing. It's a defeat for them because they lose a brother. They bring disunity in the church. Secondly, why is going to law courts a defeat? Secondly, it's because honoring Jesus matters more than anything else. Honoring Jesus matters more than anything else. No matter who wins the lawsuit, Jesus, the name of Jesus suffers. The gospel suffers. The beauty of the church suffers. Now, I must be really careful here because I know that we see in the news already that, the, that publicly the church has been disgraced. The church, the church is continuing to be disgraced with scandals of abuse, child abuse, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, and I'm, I'm saying this really clearly that, um, that Paul, again, in this passage specifically, is talking about trivial matters, not criminal matters. If there is criminal, abusive behavior happening in a church, then it, I think it is right to, to, for that to be exposed, to be, to be exposed. And I want to just, just take us through, just, just bear with me. I know that I want to make sure that we get this right. But the framework that Paul wants to give us when we have disagreements with one another 
And whatever you choose to be your outcome to be, the framework is, are you considering the reputation of Jesus in your decision making? It might well be that somebody has defrauded you in the church um, or has done something wrong to you in the church. Is your goal selfish ambition, personal retribution, versus honoring Jesus, his church, and his body? We need wisdom for that, make that decision. We really do need wisdom. And I think there are four potential outcomes or four potential options that you can take um, as laid out by Paul in this passage. Firstly, if you're honoring Jesus, if you're surrendering to him as your Lord and Savior, whatever that may be, if someone has wronged you, this is maybe what it may look like. You maybe have the choice, firstly, to honor one another and seek reconciliation, as we've spoken about already. Follow the principles of Matthew 18. Go to your brother. Sort it out one-on-one. If it doesn't work, let's take a few other people in. Let's get the reconciliation. Let's get mediation in there. I think that's a good way in which Jesus commands us to deal with um, challenges and disagreements in the church. But a second option may be, and this is what I mean, that if, if you are following Jesus and you love him and you want to honor his name, maybe one of the options is actually to seek justice, is to go to court, is to take it outside, because honoring Jesus means also that you're protecting other people. If somebody is a sex offender and, and, you, and you know about it, you don't cover up their past behaviors, you, want, you need people to know so that you know, we, we, can, we, can, we can hopefully, um, yes, they have redemption, they have the potential, they have the ability for God to redeem all their past sins, absolutely, but you know, we maybe don't let them work with, with our children's ministry. You know, there's certain things we have to do to protect the church, not covering up, and this is really important, doing, as we all know in our, in our nature at the moment in, in our society, we don't want to cover up, we want to protect victims, protect the body of Christ, protect the church, and we need to seek out justice. So maybe one of the steps is to actually go to the law courts, because that honors Jesus, because we're protecting people. We don't want people being defrauded in this church. We don't want people abusing people in this church. We don't want to leave a trail of victims because of our indifference when God has caused us to be people of justice. Things need to be confronted. But maybe another outcome or another option we can take is actually is to offer grace. If someone's wronged us, and maybe it's a little thing, and maybe one of the things we have to do is seek out reconciliation, but if it doesn't work, then maybe one of the things that Paul says to us is actually to suffer loss. It's actually to go, what? You know what? Jesus has forgiven me. Grace is mine. I'm secure in that. Maybe I can offer grace to this person as well. And I think that's pretty hard because some of us, um, suffering loss really goes deep. And maybe that's one of the things that God has called us to do to honor his name. Maybe it's trivial, and it's like, does it really matter? Can I actually continue to live forgiving, being free? Because that's how Jesus wants you to live. Not harboring bitterness or unforgiveness. Maybe that's an option that honors Jesus in your life, is to offer grace. But fourthly, maybe this is the hardest one to live by, is that in the reality of this world, even though God is a God of justice, you may not get justice in this world. And this is probably the hardest one to live with. That this world, just the courts and, and where Jesus and where uh, laws are at the moment, there just may not be a chance that justice will come in this lifetime. And um, we know things are imperfect, but really the answer to our question is, what should I do now then? I've exhausted the roots in the church. I've exhausted the law courts, but I don't get justice. 
Now, I want to encourage us from the words of 1 Peter. Peter wrote this in Peter 4, 1 Peter 4. That those, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let me read that again. Let those who, are, who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. When all avenues seem closed, when justice doesn't seem to be available to us, then we trust Jesus as the judge. We choose to surrender to the fact that one day he will judge righteously every wrongdoing. He will weigh up the courts of heaven and he will bring justice to you. But until that day, you continue to do good. You continue to be free. You continue to entrust yourself to a loving God and his open arms for you, that he may be enough. And I say that really sensitively because I know there are people in the church who have been hurt by the church. And my cry out to you is not to lose hope in the church. You may look at the news and see all the stories of things going out there that are just horrific and they are wrong. And Jesus will bring justice, but maybe not in this lifetime, but he'll bring justice. That is assured for us because that is his character. He cannot allow sin to be unpunished, but he will do it in his timing. And our choice is to surrender and trust in that. My encouragement for us to stay church is if we have been hurt, if we have been defrauded, if we feel that we have suffered loss, especially by other Christians, then we have a chance to respond in a way that would honor Jesus and place him as a way in which we will see how to respond out of that. But I feel that God wants us to be a church. I, I really praise God for this, this body here. Because one of the things I think God has equipped us to be is to be a people of justice as well. And I know, just speaking to people in this community, there are people here who, who, who I think have a calling to be people of justice. To campaign, to use their energy, their, their efforts, their, their, their skill sets, to be people who bring about a wave of justice in this nation. And I'm not sure what that looks like, but we were singing that song, Did You See the Mountains Tremble? And for me, that was just like, that's a cry for the church to take its place, to honor Jesus through living out a life of justice, truth, kindness and grace mixed with justice as well. And if that is our call to be Christians, to represent and honor Jesus in our decision-making, then some of you are going to be called to be in the public places representing Christ and his, char his character and his justice in this nation so that people may know that there is a righteous king who is kind and offers his hand of forgiveness because Jesus has taken our sin. And if that is your calling this morning, um, I want to pray for you. You know it in yourself. You know that righteous anchor that rises up here. You know God has created you for this. And I want to encourage you this morning, pursue Christ's righteousness, pursue justice and mercy. We're all called to do that, but I think especially there are a few people here who have been called specifically. I'm not sure what it may look like, but God wants to encourage you this morning to say, you go with my justice, not with your justice, and live that out. So that's the first people I want to pray for. Second group of people I want to pray for is those who've been hurt, especially in the church. And I want 
I want to encourage you for the Holy Spirit to come and to settle with you. Ask you to respond in the way that God has called you to respond. Maybe that's offering mercy and forgiveness. Maybe that is going to try and be brave and to reconcile. Maybe that is to trust it into the arms of a loving God and continue to do good in this life. Yeah, so I want to pray for us this morning. I know this is a sensitive topic, especially for some of us who have been hurt. So why don't we stand, if you feel comfortable. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit just to come and make his word truth for us. Father, I want to start by thanking you for your wisdom. Thank you, Lord, that your wisdom is greater than our wisdom. Forgive us when we've taken matters into our own hands and we've acted out of anger or selfish ambition. Thank you for the demonstration of Jesus, who, though he was very much God, did not account equality of God something to be grasped, but took the nature of a servant. I pray that we would have a servant's-hearted position in our lives right now, a humble position that allows you to be God and allows us to be submissive to you. Father, I want to pray firstly for those in this church, this community who have been hurt, especially by those who have called themselves Christians. I thank you, Lord God, that you know the things that have happened. It does not overlook you, Lord. I pray, Lord, you bring about right now comfort. Lord, where it's possible, I pray that you would bring about reconciliation, that we may gain again a brother or a sister if one has been lost. I pray, Lord Jesus, for your name to be honored in decisions that we make. For us to pursue your honor, that the church may be the beautiful bride that you've created it to be. And the world would see that there is another way, that there is Christ, there is the body of Christ that offers forgiveness and mercy. I pray for your gospel, Lord God, for the scandals that go ahead around the world right now where the gospel is tainted because of yeah, the public display of abuse. I pray, Lord God, for our church. Would you have mercy? Would we play our part, Lord, by lifting these things into your hands while still doing good? And Lord, lastly, I want to pray for those who have been called to be people of justice. Thank you, Lord. We've all been called to be people of justice, but you've called specific people here in this community to be people who make it their ambition to bring your justice, to protect victims, to bring healing. Give them wisdom, I pray. Give them encouragement this morning to know that you've called them. We just love you and thank you for the gift of the gospel to us now. Would we, Lord, live that out in a way that honors you, blesses the church, and makes the gospel grow forth to the nations. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.